Okay, listen, kids, before we get started, you're going to hear some unusual noises in this episode, some crackling, some popping, but don't worry, dear listener, it's not you, it's us. We're just starting out, we're a motley crew, so there's bound to be some technical difficulties, right? But isn't it just so punk rock that we're just throwing this together? So just pretend like I'm like a truck driver or something going in and out of range of your CB radio. Okay, anyway, here it is. Hi. My name's Brandon, and if you're anything like me, you like to ponder life's big questions. Like, what is humanity's greater purpose? Will normal ever exist again in our battered society? Will my casual love for whiskey needs become a problem in my 30s? And just, what the f*** is the deal with pet sounds? everyone, this is Get Into The Groove, the podcast where we find a groove and we get into it. Um, I am with um, who, someone who might as well be my domestic partner, and in fact we have been in a domestic partnership, not legally. It's Melissa! Hi! Hi. Um, so today, I want to play a quick game with you just to get your chops warmed up. Okay. Ready? Here we go. All right. Um... This is a this game. We're doing a little song association, mm-hmm. um, where I'm gonna say a word and right. you're gonna you're gonna sing a bit of a song, yeah. and the word either has to be in the lyric or in the title. Okay, um, okay. we're putting thirty seconds on a clock somewhere. Ready? Okay. The no. first word, run. I wanna run to you, but if I come to you. That's fabulous. The second word is can. Can you feel the love <laughs> The last word is call. Call? Call. Call me on the phone. Call me, call me, All right. call me. Call me. Yes, okay. Debbie. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Perfect. One, two, three, what were they? Songs that you just listen to. Oh, uh, Run to You by Whitney Houston. Um, Can You Feel the Love Tonight from The Lion King. Of Elton course. John, thank you very much for your contributions to everything. <laughs> and then Call Me by Blondie. Of course. Oh my God, that was fun. Okay. I, I like that. We're gonna songs do that I one. never sing ever. <laughs> <laughs> Pull from the deep recesses of your yeah. mind. Uh, also, here with us, um, we have uh, Local Witch. Um, and my personal guide to the stars <laughs> and planets. Okay, maybe she doesn't self-identify as a witch, but I think she is so mystical and magical. It's Jajeen Genie. Hi. Brandon, these these intros are stressing me out every time. <laughs> you not live up to the uh, expectation? I'm worried. I can't. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Okay, yeah. How are you? Um stressed out like i said um I having a good time good. though good i'm so glad i'm so glad we were talking earlier about how um everything's garbage yeah yeah you 
we were going for like the astrology angle. Yeah, and how everything um, will continue to be it's garbage. It's not getting better for a long time, so. But I love the silver lining um, that you put into the story. Uh, we just have to do whatever the fuck we want. We have to just power through. Oh, yeah, through. no, you should just find some sort of freedom in it because it's going to be garbage no matter what. So just do whatever makes you happy and enjoy that. You know, I got to say, uh, most of the astrology people that I know that are, you know, super into it, um, I feel like this year, uh, like the build up to March, they were all like, Something's bad. Some bad's oh, no. coming, y'all. No, no, we It's, it's going to get really bad. Now. No, they really did say that. They've right? Been, <laughs> right? They've been talking about it. And I yeah, feel like for there's like been years now. I feel like there's been this just like kind of smugness in the <laughs> astrology world of like, we told you it was coming. We told y'all. <laughs> y'all didn't listen. I'm into it though. I find the nurturing ones. They, yes, yeah, they're, uh, it, they're nurturing they're, about it. Okay. Yes. It's always it's like, and I told you so. We talked about this earlier, but it's going to be okay. Um. Yeah. Well, we're here today to talk about um, a particular album that has been haunting my life for quite some time. Let me say the scene for you. Ten years ago, my dear friend Colton trapped me in my black Ford Ranger. Mm. R.I.P. Um, R.I.P. Is it still alive? I don't know. Mm. Somewhere out there. It's somewhere, somewhere out there. Um. We were trapped in my truck, good old Salina, Kansas, um, <laughs> Indian Rock Park, and Colton Woo, says, tonight, Park. tonight is the night. If you know, you know. If you know, you know. No, I'm sort of setting this up to make it sound like we, we went all the way, but we did not. <laughs> um, what actually happened is that he got my little FM transmitter plugged it into his phone and said, listen, we're listening to Beach Boys Pet Sounds and I'm going to tell you track by track why it's important. And he tried. Um, at the time, I was um, uh, not paying too much attention. Um, but it didn't all hit me until last year I accidentally came upon a track, listened to it and said, oh my God, Colton, I'm so sorry. Um, so yeah, I'm just here to publicly thank you for introducing me to this well, batshit album. You know, um, oh, by the way, it's Colton Cox, everybody, <laughs> otherwise known as Jolly I Giant. was going Hello. to complain about my lack of intro. But, I was going to say, know. you totally forgot about Colton. I did. And I will say my intros have been rather lackluster in comparison <laughs> to the ladies, but you know, we live together. So, you know, I'm, I'm, should I take it list. again? Should I try to get okay? We don't have time. <laughs> um, yeah. So for me, this album, flashback to 2010. I just graduated high school. Oh God, I almost said college. High school, <laughs> and uh, I just started going to music school at Wichita State in Wichita, Kansas, and. I had kind of the summer prior been digging into 60s and 70s rock music as it was. Just really into it. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think Jimi Hendrix was kind of the, the tipping point and then just everything else fell in place after that. But I had heard several times that Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys is like one of the greatest albums of all time. Um, never gave it a chance. But then I did. And I 
didn't get it the first time I listened to it, to be honest. I don't think most people do. But I sat and listened to it again and again and again and again. And the more times I listened to it, it just spoke to me on many different levels and um, has really been one of the most influential albums for me as a songwriter uh, that I come across. I talk about with my friends a lot of times. Um, there are albums that uh, the phrase I use most of the times hit me like a hammer. Uh, this is definitely one of them. Uh, they don't come across very often for me. I'm very picky, very much a music snob. Uh, <laughs> no. Self-professed. <laughs> But this is one that did it. Yeah. And uh, where does this lie in the Beach Boys canon? What album is this? <sighs> well, it's crazy. This is, I believe, the 11th studio album. 11th. Um, which just goes to show they'd only really been a band for maybe three years at this point. Um, just goes to show the, the crazy work pace that... Uh, Brian Wilson had to do at that time. Yeah, like do, the very little research I did um, made me realize, like the Beach Boys, it's a machine. Like it's it's less yeah. of a band and more of a product. Yeah, there was an um, interview where they mentioned they were their own worst enemy because yeah. they had to keep up with themselves. They were just cranking them out over and yeah, over and over uh, again. I mean, we'll we'll get into more of this later, I'm sure. But uh, standard at that time uh, in the '60s was to release two albums a year. Right, which is by nowadays standards kind of crazy, depending on what kind of art, who art, which artists you're talking about. That'd be overwhelming. The part of it was at that time, um, a good portion of records uh, were a lot of cover songs. Even like it, the Beatles' early albums were almost half covers and then half their originals. Um, so that was part of how people would turn out this product so quickly. Um, but the Beach Boys were putting out three albums a year at the very least. And we're talking, you know, 14 to 18 tracks on some of these. Full-length albums. Yes. It's insanity. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so this album, Pet Sounds, comes out what year? 1966? 1966. Uh, where are they as a band? Where is Brian as a person? Oh, my. This is an interesting time in Beach Boys history. Um so up until 1964, they have just been pounding it out, releasing album after album, going on tour after tour, and they're all very young at this point. Um, but in 1964, uh, he would have been 22 or 22 at that point. 22. And um, they're exhausted. They have been working their asses off for years and. Brian in particular, who has always been kind of the softest one of the group, um, he very much internalizes everything. Um, he has a mental breakdown uh, during a tour that they have, just with the insane amount of pressure that's being put on him. Not only writing the songs pretty much single-handedly, with a little bit of help, um, but writing all the songs and then also doing all the touring. It just drove him yeah, and they said he especially touring just never has ever agreed yes. with Brian. Yeah. It's just not his gig at all. He liked being at home. Yeah, so it was a huge anxiety thing for him. Who mm -hmm. also he already suffered from depression, so yeah, it all just kind of came to a head in December of '64. Yeah, so he at that point stopped touring with the Beach Boys. Uh, he was replaced by Bruce Johnston, mm -hmm. um, who played bass and sang, um, which 
for those that don't know, Brian played bass for the Beach Boys in the early years of the recordings. Um, but he stopped touring, and he pretty much becomes full-time songwriter for the Beach Boys. His voice is on the recordings, but he doesn't go on tour. He does this for about a year, and they release the Beach Boys today, which is kind of the first sign of moving towards a different sound from the cars and girls and surfing and all that kind of stuff. It's not a full-on change from their normal sound, but it's definitely a sign that something different is coming. So, moving forward into 1966, he uh, wants to write a new album, and he's very obsessed with this time. This is right after the Beatles' Rubber, Rubber Soul came out. Landmark record, it's the first one of theirs that is entirely original songs. There's no covers on it, right? Brian Wilson hears Rubber Soul and is so moved to write a new sound, a new style of music, that he becomes the obsessed with the idea of writing the greatest rock album of all time. Um, his wife talks about it, Marilyn, um, talks about it. That's just all he ever talked about. He wasn't going for any particular sound, just wanted to write the greatest rock album of all time. You have uh, set up a beautiful segue that I'm just going to take advantage of. Uh, Jeannie, you and I have this sort of same thought about this album in that I have it in my brain that it's a concept album. Mm. Or uh, perhaps I'm projecting. Um, but yeah, I always understood it to be that. I always understood it to be a concept album. And I'm learning that it's not. Mm. Um, I think it just depends on your definition. Yeah, but what 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 is a concept album? Is it a series well. of songs centered around one idea? Is it a bunch of like a bunch of like ideas, like sort of like a sketchbook? We talked about definition? this. I did. Yeah, I uh, I looked up like a dictionary uh, mm. definition mm -hmm. of it, sort of, which is not even like a real one because overwhelmingly, uh, what they <laughs> kind of there is no consensus. You know, um, a concept album. Uh, is an album whose larger purpose or meaning collectively than they do individually, typically achieved through a single central narrative or theme, which can be instrumental, compositional, or lyrical. Sometimes the term is applied in albums considered to be of uniform excellence rather than an LP with an explicit. Um, uh, it, it, they don't. It doesn't seem like anybody actually has like a serious criteria for what they yeah. consider a concept album. It's a pretty easy to throw around term that gets applied to a lot of things. I think the overarching thing that you're looking for is something that has either one or multiple themes um, lyrically or musically that are carried through the album. What uh, kind of themes do y'all see in uh, Pet Sounds here? We talked about how uh, earlier tonight we talked about... Um, the fact that he was 24 or 25 when this album came out yeah. and like if you really pay attention to the lyrics you're like oh um that's so young yeah yeah, a, yeah. and it's just very it's for me personally i just i that's kind of how i ended up having to connect with it because it reminded me of that's exactly where i was at that age like that's the kind of things i was thinking kind of where i was and where I, I'm trying to grow up but I'm also trying to navigate this world of like real relationships and like I don't know so I that that's how I connected with it but Colton looked at me crazy so <laughs> well no I think because we the conversation we were having earlier it was being approached as if he uh it was it was more about the bitterness mm. um I don't think that that's what Brian wrote this album about at all um 
I think for me, what what it talks about more than anything, um, I think there's more of a sense of denial than anything else. I think instead of bitterness, I think that there is, it's coded in this childlike wonder that it's almost like a Peter Pan type of thing, which is at this point in time, Brian was kind of in that place in his life. He was becoming older, yet married a woman much younger than himself. 18 years old. Which was not uncommon at the time, to be fair. But um, I think he just really yearned for a childhood that kind of got taken away from him um, through his father and also... um, Well, also at this time, he and his dad's relationship was not great. Oh, yeah. I mean, it never really was fantastic, but... But it really fell apart when they became the Beach Boys. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, um, that's one thing that I see is just this denial, um, even though he really admits a lot to himself in the lyrics. um, There's still that overwhelming sense of someone who just doesn't want to be in the place that they're at. Very specifically in this opening track, uh, we kind of see that reflected in the music. Like in the first few seconds, we hear this sort of delightful, cheery, like melody, and it all comes like crashing down with this like hit on the drum Mm -hmm. there's um there's a quote about um bob dylan's um like a rolling stone that also opens with a snare hit right um bruce springsteen i think is one that said that it's uh it was the sound of bob dylan kicking in the door to his mind right Mm -hmm. that to me is more so what this album's intro is because you hear this you know Something you would almost hear out of like a, a music box from right. a kid, the do 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 right? And then that snare hit, first of all, the key changes right then and there. That melody turns to a, a minor sound. Uh, and then the song starts. I'm jumping way into the song, but like in, in the bridge where the music slows down a bit and the line, uh, it seems the more we talk about it, uh, it only makes it worse to live without it. But let's talk about it. I think it's more the denial again. Um, It hurts to talk about these things, but he'd rather talk about a non-existent thing, not a fantasy life, than face reality. Sort of the way he copes with a lot of things. I Mm -hmm. uh, read in the book you suggested, um, maybe? Yes, that he... uh, The the making of pet sounds. That's the one. The, Uh, yeah. Yeah. on tour, uh, he like was having some sort of anxiety attack or something, and the way to calm himself down was that he proposed to his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, he was really wanting to stay home. Like he had been complaining about it for months before that breakdown happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I do think it was kind of a brash thing on his part, I also think that it was something that he was kind of thinking about. Um, at least just the thought of staying at home and like settling down. Speaking of Marilyn, we're going right into um, the next song that's written about her. Yes, it is. You Still Believe in Me. Yeah. The intro part, it's kind of a crazy little story. So this whole album um, takes an approach of using novelty instruments and um, different techniques to get sounds that you wouldn't normally hear from different instruments, right? Um, one thing I didn't mention, and wouldn't it be nice, um, the slower sections, like the, um, you know, the more we talk about, right? Um, 
that uh, part underneath of it that kind of sounds like violins almost, right? It's actually um, an accordion-like instrument. I think it's a concertina, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. But it's this technique where the guy is like fanning it back and forth really quickly, and that's he's getting that kind of like um, tremolo string effect, right? So one unique way of playing an instrument. In this particular one, they actually tried a lot of different things for this opening, and they were worked at it for a while uh, before they finally found something that worked. Um, they were taking a bobby pin and plucking the strings inside of a piano to get this sound. So the the strings you hear in the background, did, did you you didn't know this, Melissa? Mm-mm. Yeah. I love, there's all sorts of little things about this album. So he took a bobby pin and plucked the strings on the inside of the piano. Another thing that they tried, if I remember reading it correctly, was they tried to um, wrap string, or not string, wrap tape around the different strings of the piano and then pull it out in an order so that it would pluck the strings that was as it was being pulled out. Hmm. Didn't work. <laughs> Wild. So yeah, um, there'll be other things that we talk about in other songs, but this is a very signature sound for this album and this particular song uh you also hear in some of the verses and uh i don't think it's in the chorus but in the verses you hear a bicycle bell um which is just kind of a a signifier of um childlike innocence which is this song is kind of wrapped in with that it it's almost like a continuation of you wouldn't it be nice to you wouldn't it be nice wouldn't it be nice to me um just in keeping up that kind of illusion of things going on in the world. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the whole album touches on like that that whole loss of innocence, that transition from mm-hmm. child to man. Yeah. Um Yeah. The next track, it fades out and goes right into That's Not Me. Um Who actually sings the lead in this? Carl Wilson okay, sings this one. At least most of it, anyway. Um, the line that Brian sings um, is, I'm glad I went, and that I'm that much more sure that we're ready, is Brian. Yeah. Um, a lot of people seem to think that he chose to sing this song um, to more directly address his and Marilyn's relationship. Um, but it's hard to say um, since Tony Asher really wrote most of the lyrics um, it, it's a weird mixture uh, Tony insists that he was more of an interpreter for Brian in that Brian just kind of told him what the songs were about what he thinks he kind of wants to sound like and then Tony wrote the words for it um, but he always insists he was the interpreter so I feel like it's pretty close to home if Brian chose to sing that line for a reason. This is the only album that Tony Asher ever y- yes. mm-hmm. did. Who is Tony Asher? He was a jingle guy. He was a he nobody, was. basically. Yes. He was a jingle guy, and they got hooked up through somebody they both knew. They, uh, I was at a recording studio. Um, Tony happened to be working on a song in another studio, um, and Brian had kind of been wanting to meet Tony for a little while. Made it happen. Imagine writing for one album in your life, and it's one of the most seminal albums. <laughs> uh, I can only imagine. 
Now I'm going to uh, stir up a little controversy. I'm gonna uh, maybe speak to your soul a little bit. <laughs> um, the next track, uh, "Don't Talk," put your head on my shoulder. I'm going to pause are it. We, are we done with that's not me already? I'm done. Did you have something to say? Uh, Cole's not done. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I was ready like we to didn't fight. Even get into it. I was honest. ready to fight. Um, did, what else do you have to say? Get into it. Well, so we're talking about this being a, a concept album, right? Sure. To me, this is the point where he finally leaves home. This song, mm. and it's kind of the first moment on the album where he expresses doubt, um, and that the person he's pretending to be to his parents is not the same as the person that he actually is. Mm. Um, it's the hero setting out on his journey. Yeah, and I, I thought another interesting thing with this song, um, the thing that happens a lot on this album is the key changes all over the place. Oh, so many times. Yeah, this particular song changes keys, I think, four times. Brian Wilson and Stephen Sondheim should be best <laughs> friends. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. The thing, so I believe it. I this this kind of brings us something that I wanted to talk about myself. Um, at the time in the '60s, uh, there was this really strong movement in rock music, in particular, because it was pop at that time. You know, the most popular stuff. Um, rock artists were trying to legitimize rock music to the classical and jazz crowds, right? still considered to this day to be kind of a lesser being to those things. But when you look at things like pet sounds and the fact that there are all these key changes going on, but it all makes sense in a grander scheme. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. I'll even give you most of the time. <laughs> and that's part of what makes this out, why it is considered um, one of the greatest of all times is because it does use very advanced theory and chords there's hardly any basic triads in this album it's all seventh chords and very like lush thick sounding things and a lot of people equate brian wilson more as a jazz songwriter at this time than a rock songwriter um but yeah i felt like this album was very successful in showing you that there's more to rock and roll than just you know guitars bass drums absolutely. all that kind of stuff absolutely um and the sophistication of this track how he does change keys so many times but always manages to find its way back to a comfort zone it's a it's cool it's cool to me i don't know we were <laughs> talking about this earlier today um annie clark otherwise known as saint vincent yeah um, she's often described as something who like pulls from the 60s a lot and it wasn't until like you and I were talking about it today that I actually recognized like just you know her branching outside of just the the basic instrument she uses different sounds and noises yeah. to bring it all in and to make the to, to make it full yeah no I don't want to step on toes <laughs> but I am ready to stir up controversy um we're into don't talk put your head on my shoulder um and here i'm here today to tell you that um i don't like the way the beach boys sound <laughs> i don't like their voices um and this is a prime example of why the just the falsetto and the sliding up and down i think it sounds so <laughs> gross i think it sounds slimy 
in my ever so humble opinion. And it is ever so. I love it. I love it. I love this song. I don't know why. I just really do. There's such a tenderness to it that I just get swept up in it. It's so funny to me because I think this is the one song that me, Melissa, and Brandon can all agree on. I hate this song. I hate this song. It's so <laughs> saturine and and sappy and ugh. okay, but this is how I feel about. We're stirring up controversy. Let's get into it. Okay, now I feel that way about most of this album. <laughs> it drives me absolutely bonkers, and I have listened to it fifteen times today. <laughs> today, it's such a quick listen. Yeah. Are you on the brink of a psychotic break? Yes. So okay. yes, I am. What I so we 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 talked about this a little <laughs> bit, a little bit. Um, but what is is what exactly is it that that Never gets you? Heard. What is the is it the music? Is it the lyrics? What is the what is it? The only word I can come up with that that satisfies what I feel is it's whiny. The whole album's whiny. Mm, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I just want to be like, shut the up. Which I mean, so was I. Which, at yeah, totally fine. But you, that, that's again why I had to come. Uh, for me personally, I had to find something I could relate to in the lyrics, which just brought me back to how brooding I was as a 23, 24, 25 year old person. Right. And it's just like, whoa, those were some feelings. You know what I'm saying? So like, okay, I get it. But like, I just, for me personally, like if someone's whining for a little bit too long, you don't wind me out of three songs now, I'm out. Like, So <laughs> I will say in defense, uh, I can definitely see where you're coming from, but you gotta think about the cultural context at the time. Yeah. Well, hold on, hold on. So, the Beatles, as I mentioned earlier, they up until Rubber Soul, pretty much wrote the exact same kinds of songs as the Beach Boys. Kind of, you know, childlike, not really real people. You know, just kind of like an imaginary girl that you talk about in the uh-huh. song. They set this precedent with Rubber Soul that it's adult women they're dealing with. It's people who don't need them in their life, right? Now here's the deal, Colton. Don't get all defensive about it. Oh, well. <laughs> because I fully understand why it is influential and I understand why musically sure. it has been had such an impact and I understand why people love it. I'm just saying it's not going to make it on my top ten playlist. That is okay. That's all. That is okay. I genuinely think after you don't listen to it for a while, and come back to it. You might have different feelings, but you might. That's I will say that bridge and you whenever. Have to, we I have will to let say Spotify give you a song from the album. Like you can't go seek it out. You know what I mean? As All right. as I said myself, I did not like the album when I heard heard it the first time either. So it, it's it, there's a lot of layers. You got to unpack it, and it's I unpacked the layers. <laughs> okay, Jeannie, you notated on this track specifically that this album moves fast, and yeah. I. By that. Well, I just feel like there's this is like song number four, and like I feel like we just bounded through the other three previous to it, and this song's over so quickly too. Like yeah. I think it's just Not quick these songs just <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Like you, you just yanks you through. It's very, hmm. yeah, no, and it just kind of really hits you there. You're like, wait a minute, where am I at? And like you're definitely on a journey. And you know, I. 
I agree with you. Um, this album does remo- move really fast. And we were talking about fade outs earlier. If you Where listen to talking about them. If you listen to uh, previous Beach Boys stuff, he does it all the time in those recordings too. I hate the fade out. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a bad habit, I guess you could call it that, of Brian Wilson's at that time. Um, it's as if he just didn't know how to end a song. You know, oh, I mean? you like know but a lot of music you know, back then it ended that yes. way. Yep, I mean, yep, that yep, was yep. kind of the standard for a lot of the songs back it w- then. It was almost like you just repeated the chorus until Yeah, because it, it was it on the radio, out. so it was just going to fade yep, out anyway. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, anyway, um, we're moving on to the next track, unless somebody has uh, something better to say. No. This is one of my favorite uh, tracks, Waiting for the Day, because it's like, it is absolutely a thank you next. The whole the whole <laughs> thing is a story. It is. He's with this girl. And this girl has this thanks for this ex. And he's like, I, hey, listen, I picked you up when you fell down. I put you back together. All right. We had this thing. I showed you love. Okay. I was there for you. And this motherfucker comes around and you're going to tell me that you're having troubles. You, it's now you this have to is decide the where he's learning bitches are actually crazy. Yeah, d- uh, d- <laughs> this is, this is that moment. He is crazy. Oh, he is crazy. Listen. You're all nuts. Okay. That's what I think. And then and then like when you know when the the moment actually comes where she has to decide. That's that uh, that he's interlude towards bonkers, the end. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 he thing. snaps. The, wait, you know. Genuinely, I I want to hear Jeannie's thoughts on this. Ooh, I you know I don't I, I this whole song to me is so entrenched in bitterness. Oh, I feel like every song every song on this album thus point is told from this perspective of not it happening as it's happening, but looking back and being like, remember when I felt that way? Yeah. That was kind of fucking stupid. And this is now. And this, this is him, and he's like, right and now. now he's like, here I am, and I don't know. It's it's so contradictory too, because the whole first half of it, he's talking about, I'm waiting for the day that you can love again. Right? He's so disillusioned. And then he's just like, no, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think. Oh, you didn't think I could sit around and watch him work? Yeah, a lot of people didn't know what to make of this song because, um, it really like it. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, are you? waiting for the day for this person to love again or are you over it or what's going on it's bipolar a little bit flips yeah. so fast or maybe it's just that moment when you're trying to talk yourself into being patient about it mm. but you're really not patient about it like you're really done with it yeah. i almost think that like that that it's her being a little facetious right like he's sort of she's sort of like chugging him along emotionally and thinks that like this whole Oh, I'm gonna go back to my ex. Is sort of a setup for him to like be chivalrous and like go after her. And he's like, "No, I do not have time for that. You didn't think I could just sit here? Well, girl, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit here. You can go, go do your thing, whatever. Bye." Then we go into what I think is um, the best song on the album. I was talking about it earlier. The first instrumental, "Let's Go Away for a While." Um, it's my favorite track. I also hear it's Brian Wilson's favorite track too. Um, yeah, I just think it's gorgeous. It really is. <coughs> um, I have a thing for that, but I don't want to interrupt anybody else's thoughts if they want to. Oh man, I just had like the one little comment. I, it's probably one of my favorite tracks, but uh, I like that it's it's 
got to be really cool to be very satisfied with like your art. Uh, yes. Yeah. And to be able to like look back at this particular song, like I bet that's deeply satisfying. Yeah, especially with everyone telling him that this is crap and that you should throw it all away at this time too. Um, his own family telling him that in a more nurturing way. But um, he did still, he was very proud of this album. Um, and it's part of why he kind of spiraled after this because he was very proud of Pet Sounds. And then uh, it got very poor reception and nobody believed in him. So he just started spiraling, unfortunately. Also, I think this song sounds best in stereo hmm. and I think is actually doing a bit of a disservice if you listen to it in mono. Um, but that's just me stirring controversy. It's the kind of soup I'm cooking tonight. Um, I don't know. What do y'all think? Is there like, a, uh, do you prefer mono? Do you prefer stereo? Is there a difference? Does it matter? I wanted to do a quick, because uh, that was something I wound up like researching because yeah. I feel like with this particular album, for some reason, there is a big discussion of mono versus stereo and you yeah. probably have some more to talk about it. But mm -hmm. I just wanted to talk specifically about what mono versus stereo means. Sure. Um, and let's see here. Um, mono was popular for like talk shows and conversations because it just comes at you from like one, like a singular point of sound that is meant to come like right at you. Um, and it was... Um, I don't, it, it was like the 1940s when stereo started to become a thing and it was like Disney Studios kind of popularized it. Um, and while it would have been cool to have playing on the radio, most radios were still mono. And so a lot of the like LPs that were coming out were still being released as mono. So stereo at this time was like, it existed, but it was kind of a weird by the time they By the time they released it, um it's actually a, a much greater portion of albums were being released as stereo instead of mono. Um, but there definitely was, this is like the beginning of the tail end of that transition. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, there is, it's very important uh, mono versus stereo for this album in particular because of uh, one person, Phil Spector. Uh, this is a crazy, crazy man. Um, definition of insane yeah just so I just ask you guys real quick do y'all research F Phil Spector at all for this did he come up did you know anything about him before a little bit no but I love the name I'm really excited to hear <laughs> what what this story is oh boy so <laughs> Phil Spector was a producer at this time he mostly produced um, girl groups um, one of the more famous songs in particular was uh, and then he kissed me um, which I can't remember the name off the top of my head of the group that did that one. But uh, his whole thing, he did all of his recordings in mono, and he invented what is called the wall of sound technique. Basically, this whole thing is um, very clever use of orchestral doubling. So pretty much every part in a song that he would record, he would have not only different instruments playing the same part, but he would also have several instruments of the same type playing. So, like, if he had a bass line, he had three or four basses playing the same bass line at the same time, right? Basically, what it does is it creates this massive wall of sound uh, where each part is very loud and definitive, but they're 
becomes kind of a, a blurring of different sounds. Um, you can't really pick out any singular yes, line. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was this was like a very revolutionary technique. Oh. Fun fact. <laughs> and then he kissed me is a song by the Crystals, by the yeah, way. Yeah. Okay. okay. And the Beach Boys put out a version. Yes. Then I kissed her on their 1965 album Summer Days. Which was oh. prior to interesting connection, <laughs> which is so interesting to me because uh, Brian Wilson had kind of a, an idol worship for Phil Spector. Um, just to give you a little bit more about Phil Spector, so he killed his wife. <laughs> um, hilarious! And at one, <laughs> at one point in time. Uh, there's this lovely story, which I, I don't know all the details of it, but he kidnapped the Ramones and held them at gunpoint uh, and forced them to record. So hit their album, End of the Century, was a Phil Spector-recorded album. Um, they were threatening to quit because he was so demanding, and he held them at gunpoint and made them record. What the fuck? Quite the demand. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this, th- Phil Spector was a big guy back at this time like he do you mean literally physically no i mean uh metaphorically big deal yeah he was a big deal at this time um so yeah yeah <laughs> some like roman polanski type shit Good Lord, have mercy. <laughs> um i don't know where i heard this but i feel like brian wilson is quoted saying like uh someone asked him about religion um, <sighs> and he said uh, I believe in Phil Spector or something. Yes, like that. yeah. Um, so I think that was our own Elliot that uh, was talking. Was about that, that you? Did you tell me that? He, he did. He told me. Um, yeah, this song. Let's go away for a while. The best song in the album. Then segues to the worst song on the album. <laughs> Sloop what? John B. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought it was God only knows. I was going to be so mad. No, no, we got a little. We got I would have come for him with you, Cole. Oh, my God. It's the only one I, like, love. <laughs> yes. Um, why the hell is this in here? Oh. This is the first one he wrote, too. So, um, Soup John B was actually recorded long before the Pet Sounds session started. Um,. It was kind of something that he did and didn't really, I don't think, plan on doing anything with it. Um, but then they ended up using it for this. I think the idea behind it was to have just another single ready for the album. Because this album, because they were all kind of designed to be listened together, not unlike what's going on. Um, it was a little tricky like getting singles for this album. Um, and I think especially since the musical complexity of this song is much simpler than anything else on the album, I think that was kind of Brian giving the record company like a, hey, I can still do like normal stuff. <laughs> but it, even still, it's not all that normal because somewhere in the bridge there is um, there's acapella happening. Everything drops oh, out. Yeah. and uh, So, I mean, he's still kind of making it different even if it is something to sell I think it's also like it's still 
very loosely related to the theme of the album. Yes. Yes. Um, the idea of, you know, I want to go home type of thing. This is the worst trip I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's still tied into the album in that way. Um, I think also it's just, like, kind of a reminder that there's still the Beach Boys. It's the only song that still kind of sounds like a Beach Boys song. And Maybe that's why I hate it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's <laughs> genuinely, I don't know if I dislike this one or cr- uh, don't cry, put your head on my shoulder. Oh, I definitely dislike this one far <laughs> more. <laughs> it's always been a toss up for me between those two. I don't know. You love this song? All right. Uh, so let's quit talking about this piece of shit. <laughs> How nice. The not the <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I have a slight fondness for it just because I remember singing it in oh. music class in like fourth grade. Oh my god, I would have walked the hell out. I'm so sorry. Oh no, no we our music teacher loved this song. We sang it often, so we were talking. It's about, a cute uh, memory. Brian's falsetto on this album and how he uses it so much, right? This album, uh, I was reading earlier, has seven instances of him using his falsetto, and that's the most of any Beach Boys recording up to this point. <laughs> so he was really going for something. <laughs> but on this next next track, he doesn't take the lead, correct? Mm-mm. It's uh, uh, Baby Carl. Carl. Yes, Carl. Um, the, the track, of course, we're talking about is God Only Knows. Ugh. Opens with that beautiful French horn welcoming you into the song. Mm, I love the French horn. <sighs> I just do. Oh, man, a French man. horn. Get me and every you know, time. Genuinely, I think this song is the whole reason for having this album. Absolutely. Because um, it's the only one worth a damn. <laughs> Well, in my personal opinion, okay. I definitely <laughs> disagree with that, but it it could stand on its own. It does not need the rest of the album it to. Does stand on its own. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I think this is this and probably the first track are the two Beach Boys songs I know yeah. the most. Yeah, and they're pretty much all Sounds like, like the remnants that are left over from this album are those two. Like some people know Sloop John B, but. Weirdly, like I was listening to it at work once, and like the customers were singing. I said, "Uh, uh." well, if I'm not mistaken, I think Sloop John B is either based off of a folk song or it is a folk song. Yeah, Yeah, it's a cover. Yeah, 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 that's right. You're right. So some people did know it, but back to God only knows. Yes, Uh, (laughs) we're talking about that song. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is one of the only songs I Beach Boys songs I'm familiar with. The lyrics. Apparently took only forty five minutes to write. Yep. Um, that's amazing for something so iconic. I always liked. I read something one time that was talking about, um, again, kind of the contradictions of lyrics in this album. So you have the first verse talking about, "I may not always love you, um, but as long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it." So it's like. So you never need to doubt it, but I may not always love you. And then, you know, the second verse, if you're if you should ever leave me, though life would still go on, believe me. He like keeps painting this picture of, 
you know, I can't live without this person, but I can. It's 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 interesting. It's a weird little contradiction. But isn't that the contradiction we all kind of have all the time when we're when we're in love with somebody or yeah. you know, it's like I can't imagine not being with this person. But like if I'm not if I'm not, I, I will be fine. <laughs> like I'm still going yeah. to have a life and I'm aware of that. Like that's the reality of the situation. I think and maybe and maybe then again, let's go back to how old he was when he wrote this and yeah. where he was at. That's a juxtaposition we all kind of have to face at some point where it's like we all hit the reality of not everything's going to be a fairy tale, not everything's going to last forever, so, and I'm going to have to be fine with that. This is um, on the vinyl of this. This is the first track of side two, mm-hmm. right? So for me, this is definitely the point where he's past. So I, I have always painted this as a high school kid going to college or, or moving on to the next phase, right? Mm-hmm. This is where he is entirely past that point. He's been an adult for a little while now. And it, this is the first like real love song, I think, from the Beach Boys. There, There's some other stuff before this, um, um, like Please Let Me Wonder from Today, which kind of taps into it. But like this really gets the whole like what it's like to be in love in your mid-20s and you're like living for yourself but still like trying to find somebody kind of thing on another note as far as musical complexity goes oh my lord this song is all over the place but what, you wouldn't you wouldn't even really know because it sounds simple until you really yes, listen to it yeah. yeah and that that's what that's what always gets me with especially this album is just the way that Brian could make these key changes almost imperceptible to someone who doesn't know how to listen for key changes you know do you have a book there? Is that like just... I do. Is it... This is... <laughs> so uh, when I was a freshman in college, I learned all the chord progressions for these. I can't actually play all these songs. Cannot? Cannot, oh. no. Um, but I... Can put on a show for us right I've now. Gone, I've gone through these songs for the sake of myself as a songwriter, seeing how he put these chord progressions together because they're insanity. Like... You at the time you did not see anything like this in pop music. Like there was some key changes and stuff, sure, but like not this smoothness of and it it is a little all over the place. Like that's not me as a perfect example, but just it's so intelligently done for someone who is just high off his ass all the time on on acid and marijuana. But yeah, it's crazy. I was just thinking back to the advice that I gave like way back at the beginning where you should just kind of do whatever the fuck you want, you know? <laughs> Take a look at our theme tonight. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. You know. You're putting so much pressure on her. Stop it. I'm sorry. I'm I don't, uh, don't want to steal your thunder, but I feel like we can definitely jump off the point of talking about Brian Wilson being on acid into the next song. Oh my God, you're so <laughs> good at this. Uh, I learned from the best. Okay, well. Don't make his head big. Okay. <laughs> the next track is I Know There's an Answer, originally titled Hang On to Your Ego. Um, so why does being high off um, his ass make it for a good transition, Colton? Brian Wilson was a huge LSD advocate, uh, for those that don't know. Um, this man took so much acid especially at this time i'm gonna interrupt you for a second 
I'm so sorry. Uh, Jeannie, in the notes, you had a little excerpt uh, under this, like... Yeah, part. no, I just... Um, History-wise, for a good part of this setting, is, like, a really big countercultural movement was going on at the time that this album was released, mm -hmm. and it was heavily, like, acid-influenced, and there's, like, a really bonkers history behind it that's really fun. Uh, it was, like, synthesized in the 1940s. I think it was 1940. Okay. What um, does that actually mean? Uh, created so by the government. It's, well, it was created in a lab, but it gets in the hands of the government yes, or whatever. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, mm. uh, it gets real complicated. So this guy <laughs> makes it in yeah. his, like, lab on accident. He kind of sets it it's aside. Uh, he comes into contact with it again. He gets a little little high and so he rides his bicycle home and uh that's cute Correct that's a cute story wrong genie i don't know if you read this the first company i think that the, the company that created the chemical i think was named sandoz yes which is uh animal song a girl named sandoz they're talking about lsd but anyway sorry i didn't mean to interrupt well, no, that's okay. So, anyways, he he came, he like created it in the 1940s, and then it has a real weird kind of murky history where it kind of disappears. Yeah. But the government wants to use it. All governments want to use it against. It's definitely tested in really fucky ways. They and were kind we, of trying to do like mind control. Type oh yeah, stuff mind control it. stuff. Like they were doing like the government, like the MK Ultra. People yep. have heard yep. of. So that was happening. But it was also being like utilized throughout like the 50s and 60s, like uh, in a lot of really weird ways. They were using it in like mental asylums and testing it on like prisoners and all kinds of mm -hmm. kind of fucked up shit. Um, Timothy Leary was a like Harvard professor mm -hmm. who got really into LSD and yep. he had this like um, big backer who bought him this huge like estate the millbrook estate and he had like socialites and all of these sophisticated people to come over and take acid trips and he would guide them yeah. he was sort of a shaman and they seemed a little culty and seemed like he was kind of godly <laughs> but whatever so that happened and then to follow up on the discussion of like how they were testing it in mental asylums on the other end of that you get ken kessie who writes one flew over the cuckoo's nest yep. and it was about things being utilized in um mental asylums and how they were using them in prisons and stuff and he was like that's pretty fucked up but also people should experience acid and so he had someone who was backing him and they made this trip across america handing out tabs of acid to yep. give to everybody yep. so there's a reason there's this massive surge of lsd because people were just fucking taking it ken kessie wanted everyone to have acid and he was just handing it out and he had so like he throughout like just like a brief period of time he and timothy leary both like yeah they were just pouring acid out like i think it's brian wilson probably got his acid from one of them i timothy leary i think is who he got it from but <laughs> um it, correct me if i'm wrong i think timothy leary is the tune in drop out turn yeah on. yeah yeah that's yeah. timothy leary yes um wow. crazy stuff so Brian Wilson gets his hands on LSD and writes this song, question mark? Yes, kind of. <laughs> what is this song about, is my question. Well, so I want to talk about first <laughs> the fact that these, uh, so I know there's an answer is not the original lyrics, right? 
people did not hear Hang On To Your Ego until years after the fact. Yeah, like anniversary album or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, what happened was Brian wrote the song Hang On To Your Ego, very clearly talking about acid without actually mentioning the word acid in the song, right? Mike Love, his cousin, uh, who sings bass in the group, is offended by the song. He knows it's a drug song, and he demands that Brian changes the lyrics. Brian tries to fight with him, but as with every time Mike and Brian got into a fight, Mike gets his way. But so they turn into this this argument, and Mike Love reworks the lyrics of this song to to make it "I know there's an answer," and it's kind of a same message but different. Um, and he also gets a co-songwriting credit on this, even though he didn't do anything other than change the words. But and that story is painted far more mild than that. Like yes. The story I've read is that like people just didn't understand it. The band just didn't understand what they, their ego was. But it sounds like they full well knew what the fuck was going on. Mike, uh, they didn't. They didn't entirely know. No, but they knew that. S- Something was going on, and Mike was especially like suspicious of Brian at this time. Um, this song, Brian was like really digging into the acid phase at this point. Um, did you have something, Gina? Or? Oh man, my note just says my friends won't do acid with me. Sad face. <laughs> um, I'll do acid with you, Jeannie. <laughs> Please do. Let's do it. Um, it's a plan. Right. In the in the lovely movie Love and Mercy with John Cusack and I uh, yet. Paul yeah. Dano, yeah. Um, they reference an actual thing that happened uh, at this time. Paul Dano walks into the recording studio, stands in there for 20, 30 minutes, and um, like puts his ear against the wall, and he he hears things. Right, they're they're kind of addressing Brian's descent into schizophrenia. But then he turns around and tells them, "No, we can't record today, because the vi- the vibes are all wrong. Like we can't we can't do it," which actually happened several times. Wow, drugs, man. He knew there was an answer, but he knew he had to find it by himself. <laughs> Let the it doobie, be. Doobie, no. <laughs> Don't you dare bring them up. Uh, this one goes right into here today. Um, which is another like bitter scorned lover song. I use the word gloomy. 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 This is one that I I very strongly disagree with you guys on. (laughs) I don't think it's a gloomy bitter song. I think it is just really talking about the fleeting feeling of love. That's all it is. Like, I don't think there's necessarily a bitterness to what he's talking about. I think it's more like this appreciation of love when you have it and it's here today and it's gone tomorrow that's what I've always read it as it's that line that line well you know I hate to be a downer but I'm the guy she left before you found her mm-hmm. like it's, it's yeah. that whole like that there's there's something in that line that, that leads me to believe that something happened Brian that's also I they talk about um, in uh, the making of Brian Wilson's Pet Sounds, the book. Um, these references to like relationships, things that have happened, that nobody really knows what Brian was talking about. 
it's hard to say if it was Brian possibly having extramarital affairs, you know, while they're on tour or, or what it might be, or if it has like a little bit of Tony Asher's stuff, like his personal experiences mixed into it. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it is interesting to hear these kinds of things from a married man who's been married for two years at this point, you know, but there is no, there's no proof of anything like any extramarital type of things with him. Um, also, listen to the mono version of the record, and in that little instrumental break, somewhere in there you can hear Brian yell at somebody to stop talking, and that's not the only time that something like that appears on the album. Yeah. Um, so what happened in this particular case was a uh, French horn player thought that they were just rehearsing the song and uh, talked during a, a recording, and that's when Brian says stop talking which it's it's very quick but you can catch it if you pay attention um there's a lot of talk about the production of this album and how there are little odd things that shouldn't have been left in that did get left in like this like any professional level recording from a band of this magnitude at this time is uh you wouldn't hear things like that so I think this is where a lot of people, again, starts digging into how much acid was Brian on? Did he leave it in intentionally? Is it just an accident? Um, and I don't think he himself really knows either. Because he was at the helm. He was producing everything. Yes, everything. yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he was so meticulous about everything on this particular album that it's really odd that stuff like this slipped past him. I want to talk about something, too, that I uh, feel like I wanted to mention earlier, but we, we didn't get to it. Um, so there's a group of studio musicians at this time um, who are very heavily involved with the making of this album. It's called The Wrecking Crew. Wrecking Crew, um, very famous documentary was made about them um, some years back. But it's this group of studio musicians who basically were kind of a turning tide for uh, pop music at that time. They were people who were classically trained musicians who played like rock stars. Um, they didn't play the way that people who were trained in school played. And it was, uh, it's a really cool thing to see it in this album. Um, there are people who weren't in the wrecking crew who are also on this album, but just, they were all so excited to work with him. And the fact that, this man who has no musical training um, sang parts to people who played the instruments and then they interpreted it into their part. Right. There's no arrangement. There are no arrangements. There are no written pieces of music that Brian had. Like He may have had like chord progressions, like a chord chart, but like any actual parts he sang to people and then they like interpreted it into their instrument. Insane. Yeah. It, yeah. Especially the the har the complexity of the harmonies, and all this stuff. Um, how you don't use drums as a timekeeper really in this album. It's more of a tonal drive to the song. It, it's yeah, things far beyond someone who has no training whatsoever. Yeah, he this really was the cutting edge at the time. And at the time, Brian knew that he just wasn't made. <laughs> that was a. 
perfect segue. What a transition. Oh, I'm so proud of you. That That's it. Go home, everybody. Curtain. And we're done. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I... This song is not unremarkable to me, but I have nothing to say about it. Oh. This is my favorite song. Oh, same. Yeah. Yes. I have so much to say about it. It's my favorite song. It's, I think, the nicest sounding song on the album. And I also just... Nailed it. Too. I just really love it. Yeah. It's the most authentic Brian Wilson song on the entire album. I love the simplicity of sometimes I feel very sad. I just love that. It's so good. And I think the thing that really gets me is, you know, for those who don't know, Brian Wilson is developing paranoid schizophrenia at this point in time. I think this song is almost like being inside of his head. All of these conflicting voices saying this different things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, this song f- from the first time I heard it has always stuck with me. Um, the the inner interlocking vocal lines and the the theremin especially, which is the first time he uses it. It it, it becomes you know famous in Good Vibrations, which is also actually recorded during Pet Sounds. I didn't know if you knew this. I didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was recorded during the Pet Sound sessions because they pretty much bled right into the Smile sessions. Um. But yeah, this is the first time he used the theremin, um, and it's it's haunting in this song because it's so outside of the way everything else sounds. <laughs> yeah, I think the line that always gets me um, is, "Where can I turn when my fair fair weather friends drop out?" What's it all about? And it's just, it's heartbreaking to me because he really was trying to do what he thought was best for the group at this time, and th- no one believed in it. They they thought he was losing his mind, which, you know, he was losing his mind. It's a very scary feeling. Yeah, there's always that, that quote from Mike Love that, you know, oh God, I... I hate Mike Love. I want to put it on the record. I and hate you Mike Love. were telling us not to bring not him up, and bring you up. did it. You did it. Go on. What were you His famous quote about this album is, stick to the fucking formula. Oh, and thank God he did not. Yeah. In reference to the fact that he wanted him to keep writing songs about surfing and girls and cars until they were 50-some years old. Like, what? This man was so concerned about making money and living the lavish lifestyle that Brian gave to him mm. Bermuda Bahama listen come on pretty mama listen Mike may have helped write lyrics in the early days of the band but Brian carried this band to success three albums a year and this 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 album is essentially a Brian Wilson record yes yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically he wrote the he wrote the whole thing while they were out on tour and then they came back and he showed them the songs and they were like what i don't know how i feel about this and obviously it was something that they could not tour with because of all the right weirdness going on with the sound but again the beatles recorded revolver not even but a year later than this and then they stopped touring that was the that 
album was the last time they they toured. You mean Sgt. Pepper? No, they stopped touring long before Sgt. Pepper became came along. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they, I know this album was a big inspiration for Sgt. Pepper, too. Yes. Um, Revolver happened kind of... It's between Rubber Soul and Sgt. Pepper. Got right? it. Um, but yeah, it is a big influence. Sergeant, uh, uh, Paul McCartney mentions Pet Sounds as one of the best albums of all time. and he Also has, notating God Only Knows is one of the greatest songs of all time. Yes. Uh, he said it's uh, a must-listen for any... Anyone that considers himself a musician. High praises from Paul McCartney. Praise from Paul. <laughs> wow. I but yes, <laughs> I just wasn't made for these times. Lovely. I love this. And, you know, I just want to uh, backtrack and say, when I say I, I had nothing to say, I wasn't dissing the track. I do love oh. the track. I just want to make sure, because I will be very vocal when I hate a track. As we've learned today, <laughs> I just want to put that on the record. Okay, and so we get to the title track, the second instrumental. I pet feel like sounds. I was talking to you. What'd you say? I just said pet sounds. That's all I said. That's fine. I just said pet sounds. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like <laughs> we're cutting it out. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I feel like you were telling me about a song uh, in which you were like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, wait a minute. This is a really long intro. Oh shit, there's no words. No, it was the other one. Oh, it was the other one. It was one. the other one. My bad. It was the other one, and still to this day, every time it comes on, I I get to a point where I go, oh yeah, this is that goddamn song. Oh my god, <laughs> that song's so lovely. Uh, yeah, she's gorgeous. <laughs> I am just not. She wants words. It's okay. I'm ju- it's okay. I'm sure it's. I know it's beautiful. <laughs> Said with condescension. <laughs> but this one, um, yeah, Pet Sounds. Why, so, why is it called uh, Pet Sounds. So, okay, you and I were arguing about this earlier. Yeah, but I think you're right. <laughs> I, I can concede that to you, Colton. Okay, so from what I understand, it was called Pet Sounds because this is a collection of Brian Wilson's favorite sounds. It's his little pet. It's his pet sounds. Yeah. Oh, see, okay. So part of what I heard though is that they used to make fun of him because he heard things that no one else yeah. heard. Oh yes. Because yes. like they did that. For example, would uh, wouldn't wouldn't it be nice that slow part, the bridge? Yeah. He they did that over and over and yep, over and yep, over again, yep. and they and they did it almost identically over and over again. And he just there was something he heard that no one else was hearing. Yep. And so they start anyway. Yeah, I love throwing in quotes. So I'm going to throw in a quote. Bob Dylan said of Brian Wilson that his one working ear, because he has only one working ear, should be put on display in the Smithsonian. <laughs> High praise from Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but pet sounds. Uh, so can I ask y'all? Do you know what the intention was originally behind this particular song? James Bond song, right? he, Yes, he was wanting to write a song for the next James Bond movie, right? Oh, I was under the impression like somebody commissioned him no, to do it. No, 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 it's his dream, Brandon, it's just his dream. I always <laughs> love this story because like you can hear it 
you can hear how it could be a, a James yeah. Bond oh, yeah. theme, it but it's so, so luxurious and like classy, and I want to shimmy a little bit. Of yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it it was kind of his like audition to do a uh, 007 theme, um, but he kind of you know shied away from that before the end of it. But like, I just love that that little tidbit. It makes me it makes me giggle that Brian Wilson like wanted to write a 007 theme. I love that it's just this you um, want. <laughs> I wanted to talk about this particular song because um, we mentioned the concept album several times. Yes. So have. I found a quote that I had not heard before today from Brian Wilson himself about this album. The horse is mad. That he's never really viewed it as a musical concept album or a lyrical concept album. It's a production concept album. Well, okay, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, it was his like tribute to the wall of sound recording technique. Uh, like so important to hear it in mod. Right. Precisely. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Brandon. Now I will agree with you. I think some of these songs do sound better in stereo. But the Let's stereo version also approved by Paul McCartney. Or not Paul McCartney. God Brian Wilson. <laughs> that <laughs> makes a lot of so much sense Beach to Boys me. makes up tonight. <laughs> it's hard to, they're so intertwined, it's hard no, to it's talk just about. True. No, uh, there are so many artists that reference Pet Sounds. There yes. are so many artists, and that's why I that explains that. I think especially... I think that it's such a production thing. People look back on it, and they're like, it was a productive feat. Well, yeah, I I think the thing, too, and this is my personal feelings tied up into this album. This time frame, the Beatles are gigantic, right? And so are the Rolling Stones. So many bands in the British Invasion phase, right? This is like the biggest American rock band at the time, the Beach Boys. And this album is like Brian trying to steer them onto the path of the Summer of Love hippie route that would have kept them alive, but they didn't want to do it. And so they slowly started dying after this album. Now... Granted, they had, you know, Kokomo and some other hits after, but, like, it was never the same. Bermuda, Bahama, come, come on, pretty mama. I wish I hadn't looked you in the eyes right before you started doing that. So now we've hit the last track of the album. But the first single, question mark? Yep. Yes. The lead single. Caroline, no. Caroline, no. N- no. And you don't like this one either, do you? I mean, it's I. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> this is like the ultimate, like the, the, the summation of all of the laws yeah. of innocence, motifs, and themes that have been drilling, they've been drilling into our heads. Did, did, did you now? I don't know if you've heard this, but I watched an interview with Brian Wilson. He was talking about how he didn't actually know a girl named Caroline, but there was a girl that this song was sort of based off of, and she actually contacted him after the song came out. You know, I feel like I remember reading about this, but I don't. I don't know the rest of the story. Yes, and it was just some girl. Like it was just it's kind of vaguely about her, but wow. it was it was it was specific enough that she picked up that it was their situation. Her well, name's yeah. not Caroline. But it, she actually <laughs> did like reach out to him after the song came out. I, I, I mean, it had to be somebody because it's so striking. The you know, where did your long hair go? Where's the girl that I used to know? Mm-hmm. Like, he's seen this person for sure. Yes. 
that's 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 the thing that always gets me about this um there's just like stuff going on in brian's life that i feel like didn't get documented in this time and i just want to left with the mysteries yes yeah i just want to know like what was going on with him like other than what we already know you know like the day-to-day life of brian wilson like from all i've ever read he really just like wrote music most of the day and it's like did this all like happen in his head or like did he actually do these things like what's the i don't know it it fascinates me but yeah um caroline no is uh some fun facts i have about this since you know i have fun facts about every song on this album bring them on colton so this song was the first brian wilson single released uh, this song was not released as a Beach Boys song. It was released as a Brian Wilson single. Um, this was meant to be Brian Wilson breaking up with the Beach Boys. Um, he had intended to go off on a solo career because of the fact that he was writing all this music that they didn't want to do. Um, a lot of things happened. So, first of all, this track uh, has been sped up. It is not the original speed. Hmm. Um. Oh, so one day in the studio, Brian's father shows up, and for those that know about Brian Wilson, he and his father have very tumultuous relationship, and uh, he's super controlling. He he was the manager for the band for the first part of their career. And to his credit, when they first got started, he bankrolled the whole yes. project. Like he was super about them. He was being in this band and be having this music career. Yeah, but he also he, wanted he to produce the whole and, thing. Like, introduced them yeah. to people. Yeah, because he, he, he was an organist, I think, and he taught he their had, mom piano. He, like, had he was written a musician. One song that was somewhat of a hit. Uh, and then nothing ever again really came from him. Very Joe Jackson. Yes. But oh with, my lord. But with less control. Because they were older. Yeah. Um, so there's a story that um, Brian's bad ear happened because his father hit him on the side of the head and it burst his eardrum or something along those lines. To give you an idea of their kind of relationship. But he shows up in the studio and they're doing this song and he keeps suggesting that they speed up the song to make Brian sound younger. To me, the weirdest the point. The, yeah, the weirdest addition to this song. Like, why make him sound younger when he's singing as an adult man? Probably just because he was already scared because it was so different than their previous sound. I mean, it's yeah. like, you know, you're starting to alienate. You're not alien. They weren't starting to alienate their fan base, but it could be thought that at the time, and see, what I, are you doing here? I don't know. This if is not really going to work here. I don't know if there is a official recording at the original tempo of this song i i'm fairly certain that i have heard someone manipulating it to slow it down um but supposedly in the slowed down version he you know his voice has more richness to it um Hmm. it doesn't sound as falsetto heavy as it really is interesting um which i would love to hear that i've never heard it but um yeah so his his dad makes this suggestion and this is kind of, um, I think this is a separate occasion, but this is where Brian kind of ejects their father as the manager of the group. He had already 
been out of the picture for a little while, but still skulked around every now and then. But this was like an actual confrontation that Brian said he wants him gone, you know? Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's heavy stuff. I want to talk about the sound effects at the end real quick. Because mm. the song sort of fades out. There's some beautiful flutes happening. And then, kaboosh, the train goes by. And we hear some dogs barking. And that's the end of it. Yeah. That particular um, sound bite is just Brian's backyard. Um, that's his dog barking. Really? Yeah. Um, and it's a, ch- a train passing. They had a, you know, a train u- line that went through their backyard area. Um, I like never have really decided what this, this outro like means to me. Um, I, I, you know, always view it as, uh, just the, the kind of the sound of the end, you know, like the, f- the fade off into the distance. If at the beginning of the album, um, um, that's not me who's you know venturing off into the world and figuring himself out i think this at this point is just like the final shot you know like it you see kind of brian wilson in his backyard and he's like hands in his pockets like watching the train go by like mm. it also could be a, a little bit home and like it's everything is different now and you like you have no place there yeah it also could be a little bit of an homage to the fact that this is, this is a point after he stopped touring where he started to become a little bit of a hermit. Yes. I mean, they would come to record at the house and have to pull him out of the bedroom to yeah. do things. Like, he was not doing well. So it could yeah. just be a little bit, bit of an homage to the soundtrack of what he was listening to the whole time he was coming up with this album. The um, These were his constant sounds. Uh, I think the best description that I've read of it... Um, I can't remember where I read it. I think it was in just an article that I found when I wrote the paper over this in college. <laughs> um, but they paint this song, Caroline No, as in the setting of a train station. And he sees Caroline mm. in a train station with her hair short. She looks different. And he never actually speaks to her. He just imagines this song as he looks at her. And she gets in the train goes away drives off and it's kind of the suggestion that the train is not only the sound of her leaving but also uh the loss of innocence leaving his the life that he knew going off into the distance yeah okay oh wow and that's that's it that's the whole album yeah uh rapid fire favorite least favorite go track oh Favorite, God only knows. Uh, least favorite, whatever that instrumental one is in the middle. Let's let's do whatever let's we go do. Away. Oh. Yeah, whatever that goddamn You're wrong. thing is. Ah. Incorrect. Genie, you could have said Sloop John go. B or anything. That's the one that every time I come across it, I go, oh, this is that goddamn song. So it's... And Genie, sorry. <laughs> I just wasn't made for these times. Uh, Is my favorite. Um, Hmm. I know you said rapid fire. I just don't think I super know. Can you hate on any of these tracks? Or is there something I can't? I can't hate on any of them. Yeah, I get it. 
Colton, favorite, least favorite? My favorite track, um, definitely, I Just Wasn't Made for These Times. Least favorite, Kokomo. <laughs> okay, that was not included on the album. That's not on this album. That's not on this album. I know, but I'll, I'll say this then. Um, most favorite, all the songs on this album, least favorite, any other Beach Boys album. Okay, well, the correct answers were <laughs> favorite boy. was Let's Go Away for a While, <laughs> and least favorite was Sloop John B. Um, you all lose. <laughs> Thank you. For that is a relative. Ter- Goodbye. Subjective questions here. Goodbye. Well, you guys, what, Miss Jean, what are you going to say to me? Oh, I was just going to bring up that this was this was kind of the album that got all of this going, though. It really was. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Just once I rediscovered it, I, I feel like I reached out to you and I was like, have you heard pet sounds? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> what is the deal with it? I hadn't heard pet sounds. I kept putting it off. I heard it by accident a year ago because somebody else was like, well, you were there. We listened to it. Yeah, we had a, a little listening party. And then yeah. we listened to, I think, the doors afterward. But like, uh, well, I I think I was, I everyone always hypes it up, so I think I wanted to save it for some sort of experience, and then that time was lackluster, and then I listened to it for this. Yeah, I. Uh, there was a big buildup, is what I'm saying, yeah. to Pet Sounds. I have shown this album to so many people over the and years, and it was why we did a podcast. Melissa's the first one that doesn't like it. <laughs> Which is okay. I'll still love her. But Melissa, is it that you don't like it or you're not wild about it? I wouldn't pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't either. But that's the thing. Like I can I can genuinely not didn't. like I can genuinely not like an album and fully understand why other people love it. Like so oh, it's sure. like I get why people love it. It's great for what it's supposed to be. Listen, I would not pay for it. I would probably not listen to it I, again until it comes across my desk by accident. And then I call <laughs> Colton with a freaking epiphany, which is going to happen 12 years from now. And that's if I can swallow my pride and call him and tell him <laughs> that I like something about it. I might just take it to my grave. Listen, uh, I have two ex-girlfriends who probably feel the same way <laughs> about well, and this. I also, I'm also, he says he's picky. I'm also very picky. It's very hard for me to get into an album. When I do, it's it's a, like a miracle situation. So, so folks, the fact that we're talking about this particular album means you should listen to them. Yeah, listen to it, for sure. And if you're anything like me, anytime you heard the Beach Boys, it was always on, oh God, for the Selenians, it was oldies radio, uh, 98.5. Yes. Surfing USA! Shit like that. Exactly. Right. Like, so I would always tune it out. So, like, that time when you tried to get me to listen to it track by track. uh, Yep. Fully not listening to anything you were saying. My grandmother thinks I'm square because I listen. My grandmother. But one could appreciate it because this album was such a far cry from the uh, square Beach Boys songs we were hearing before. You know, that's very fair, but I can also see, this is sad, but this is my parents' generation, y'all. My parents are old, y'all. <laughs> this is my parents' generation. Like, Brian Wilson's the same age as my dad. Same yeah, year, born well, the same year, 1942. And you and your mom listened to this album, My mom too. and I listened to this, and my mom thinks it's square as hell. <laughs> but it's like, it's like, but even compared to things that were going on back then, this was square. Yes. I mean, this was not... 
the Beatles. This was not. This I mean, we thing. did not go into some existential crisis with this album, y'all. <laughs> this, this is the thing, though. Like, this is why it's so important because it is so unique compared to what everything else is going on. This is the first time that like orchestral instruments are really used in this way. Mm-hmm. Anytime that you think of like a rock band playing with orchestral instruments, you think you know like. Rolling Stones playing with New York Philharmonic where it's like this the regular Rolling Stones songs but like with some cheesy strings added to the background. This is like effectively using orchestral instruments and other like novel weird instruments that other people hadn't even attempted to use. Like uh here today there's a bass harmonica solo that that I thought that was a saxophone for a long time. It's a bass harmonica. Like it, it just genuinely there was nothing else going on at the time that was anything like this. It's it's one of a kind. So that's why we talked about it here today. And we're so glad that you joined us out there, all three of you. Um, Thank y'all. We hope that Thank you, you yeah. uh, listen to the album and tell us what you think if you're friends with us on social media. And if you're not, tell somebody else what you think. They might like your opinion. Um... You guys, we're going to reconvene. Um, I'm not quite sure what album we're going to talk about. I'm thinking we're going to just bite the bullet and talk about the Black Parade. <laughs> I think it's I think it's been decided. It's time. It's time. We're going to do another album that I'll have far too much to say about. <laughs> yes, no, yes, 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 yes. Um, but so I'm going to be in on this with you. Oh, <laughs> Elliot, okay. I'm sorry, I just screamed into your ear just now. <laughs> okay. Oh, God, what a lovely... Uh, you guys, it was lovely to sit here and chit-chat about the Beach Boys Pet Sounds with you. Yes, um, it was. Uh, Melissa, I hope you get the songs out of your head. I hope they, they leave uh, you alone for gone, a while. Okay, gone. good, 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 good. <laughs> good. Um, great. I'll see you guys next time. Um, and thanks for listening out there. Stay safe. I love you.